We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to Babylon Singularity Podcast. I am your host, Peter Herter. And this week, uh, we're actually going to get into uh, Daniel 2. Um, I know last week, or whatever, last episode, I said we were getting into Daniel 2. And I failed miserably. <clears throat> so uh, I'm going to just kind of jump into it this week without a whole lot of hubbub. Otherwise, I might get sidetracked like I did last time. And actually not get into what I was intending to get into. So, um, just looking to you, Jesus, to open your word to us, that we would um, be faithful with your word, that we would hear your voice, that we would believe your truth, God. It's your truth. It's not our truth. It's yours. We want to believe the truth, and we want to bow before you and serve you and serve the truth. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and anoint your word, anoint your truth, lead us in all the truth. Um, we lay down our agendas, whatever th things we, we might be bringing, we just lay them down before you and say, God, have your way in this podcast, have your way in our lives. Jesus, we ask you that you and your voice and your spirit and your will, God, would prevail in our lives. We ask you for it. We look to you and we, we worship you and adore you, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So um, last episode, we kind of did a overview of the book of Daniel. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what the ins and outs of, of Daniel as the overall book. I wanted to kind of zero in on chapter two, of course, chapter one is the story of Daniel and his three friends and how they refused the table of Babylon, right? The the meat and drink, the meat and wine of Nebuchadnezzar. They said, no, we're not going to do it. God blessed them. God met them in their unflinching devotion and, and blessed them and gave them favor. And so we know that if we will reject the things that this world offers and instead choose God's will and God's way, not, not this world's way. If we reject the world, we reject immorality, we reject the lies of Babylon, and we walk in the truth and, and live devoted to Jesus, that God will release his favor in our lives in different ways, just like he did for Daniel. That's not a, that's not a prosperity message. That's just a Bible message. That's, that's basic Bible 101. Of course, what does favor and blessing look like? Well, sometimes it looks like getting tossed into a fiery furnace, but lest I get sidetracked and don't get into the material I was intending to, I will stop there and say, um, chapter two turns a corner. So you hear about Daniel, his three friends rejecting Nebuchadnezzar's meat and his wine and God's blessing them. And then we get into Daniel chapter two. And it was in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar that he had dreams and he was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So the king commanded that the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers all be summoned. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. So the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the inter interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Nebuchadnezzar is not playing around here, okay? He had a dream. It freaked him out and he wants to know what it means and he doesn't want somebody telling him something that's made up or untrue. He wants to know the meaning of the dream. 
he wants to know so badly that he says, you guys better tell me what the dream was and what the dream means, or I'm going to dismember you. And then after that, I'm going to find your house with your family in it. And I'm going to, I'm going to burn it down with your family in it. Right. Nice guy, Nebuchadnezzar. But uh, so that's that's the stick. But then then Nebuchadnezzar in verse six he gives them the carrot. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So, carrot, reward, wealth, um, promotion, stick, dismemberment, and I will burn your house down with your family in it. The stakes are pretty high. There's really good upside and really bad downside. So they come back in verse 7. They say, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can tell me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can do what you're asking. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. They're basically saying, Nebuchadnezzar, what you are asking for is unprecedented. This isn't something you ask for on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a, on a monthly basis, yearly. You, no one ever asks anyone this ever. This is completely unheard of. Please be reasonable, the Chaldeans. thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And so the Chaldeans are like, Hey, you're asking the impossible. The only one who has an answer to the, what you're asking, it belongs to the, to where the, wherever the gods live, it belongs in their realm. They know what it is, but unfortunately there isn't any living around here. They're all up in their spot. And they don't really talk to us, if you haven't noticed, right? Nebuchadnezzar does not take the news well. He says, it says, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. They sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Daniel declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? When Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested to the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So Nebuchadnezzar does not take the Chaldeans' answer very well. The Chaldeans say, hey, look, I know you want us to tell you what the dream is and the interpretation, but unfortunately that information belongs to the gods and nobody here talks to them, and so we can't get that information. So what you're asking for is impossible and we cannot do it for you. Nebuchadnezzar says, fine, cool, I'm going to kill all of you. Like I said, dismemberment and burning your houses. Okay, my main... Uh, assassin guy, head of my guard, Ariok, you go ahead and do the dirty work. So here goes Ariok. He does what Nebuchadnezzar wants him to do. That's what he's paid to do. So he's out to chop off heads and burn down houses. He comes to Daniel, say, says, hopefully it was Daniel came first. You know, Daniel, uh, sorry. King says you got to die. Personally, I like you. I, this, I'm, I hate to do this to you, but uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to you know, cut off your body members, but I'll be nice. Cut off your head first. Daniel says, whoa, wait a second. I appreciate 
I, I appreciate the kind gesture of, 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 you know, offering the beheading first. However, could we try something different? Could I try and actually give the king the answer that he's looking for? Ariok's like, you think you can do that? And Daniel says, well, he doesn't say it, but he says, well, you guys don't talk to your gods, but I do talk to my God and he talks to me. And so all I need him to do is give me the information and then I'll take the information to Nebuchadnezzar. Easy stuff, right? As long as God does his part, I'm good. If God doesn't, then sorry, but at least we got a chance and I know God's going to answer. So watch this. He goes to the king and says, hey, king, I know you're busy. I know you got a big schedule. Um, uh, just uh, give me the appointed time and I'll come in before you. So Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, I won't kill you. You've got a schedule with me basically tomorrow. I'm going to take out the rest of the day off. It's, it's you know, it's it's 1.30 in the afternoon now. It's time for uh, my bath and uh, for the feast. And so, uh, yeah, I'm going to be busy for the rest of the day. But, Daniel, I do want to talk to you tomorrow. I'm going to slate a spot for you tomorrow. So, if you've got the information, now would be a good time to get it. So, verse 17, Daniel goes to his house and made the matter known to his friends and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Daniel runs home. He gets the, he knows he's got, he's got to be before Nebuchadnezzar next day. He's got one night to get the information. He runs to his friends. Hey, guys, let's beg God for mercy that he would spare our lives. We need the information that, uh, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar has, and only God knows it, So, but he can tell us what it is. Daniel, a man of faith, a man of devotion, that was his answer. His answer was, I'm going to seek God, and God's going to tell me, and then God's going to take care of it, right? What would, what would we do in that situation? Uh, the king's executioner, basically the, the head of his guard, comes to our, knocks on the door out of nowhere. Basically opens the door. We're like, oh, hey, Ariok, how you doing? Uh, can we pray for you? Ariok's like, no, not really. Actually, I'm here to, um, hey, I don't know, how do I say this? Uh, dismember you, right? We would then weep uncontrollably. <laughs> Who knows what we would do, right? But I imagine, you know, like, oh God, here I come, right? This is, this is it. I'm done for, you know, that'd be, that'd be a pretty good response too. But Daniel has more faith in that. And Daniel says, you know what, what is going on, Ariak? What is happening right now? Daniel sees his, his life is bigger than his circumstances. And so he's like, this is, this is madness. You're not, you're not just going to come in here and kill me right now. That's, that's not how this thing goes. That's not how this thing ends, right? So, so give that whole thing up. What, what, what's going on? Well, the king had this dream. Nobody can tell him what it means. And so now he wants to kill all the wise men of Babylon. And unfortunately, Daniel, you and your friends are on the list. So Daniel goes to his friends, asks for mercy. God answers Daniel in a vision in the night. It's very like very nonchalant, very straightforward. Like, of course, of course. They asked, they prayed, and of course, God showed them a vision. Why? Why why could Daniel have so much confidence? Because he knew God set the whole thing up to begin with. He set up the whole thing. There's nobody else who's in charge of this this kind of a crazy scenario. He knows God's in charge. God has an answer. In any case, whatever happens, God has an answer. In this case, God showed him the answer in a vision of the night. Very cool. Very cool. Daniel gets it, understands what it is. He wakes up and he just, he, he blesses God. He worships God. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. He goes on for whom wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. This is actually a pretty awesome passage. The, the, the sovereignty of God revealed in Daniel 2. Uh, Daniel sings this praise to God of his sovereignty, right? He changes the times. He decides when things change. 
He sets up one king and removes another. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and you have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel gets the revelation and his heart explodes with praise and worship. He's like, God, this is amazing. You are the one who set this whole thing up. You are the one who brought Nebuchadnezzar around. You are the one who has ordained the season for Israel to be taken captive in Babylon. You are the one who will decide when it's over. It's your, this is your show. This is your boat. And you give wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And you have revealed this thing to me that I asked you to do. You did this thing for me. It was like a, you did this personal thing for me. He also did this big thing for his glory, but he did a personal thing for Daniel. It all wraps up together in the great, beautiful, intimate, reality of who God is. So, verse 24, Daniel goes to Arioch, the king's captain, who he had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. So, Arioch brought Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar says, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I've seen and its interpretation? Daniel says in this kind of dramatic moment, No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. Nebuchadnezzar, so Arioch runs in before the king. I'm sure he's, he doesn't want to kill all these wise men. He's like, these guys, they didn't do anything. So he, he grabs Daniel, let's go. You got the interpretation. This is the thing that's going to get all these wise men off the hook. I think Arioch was, you know, hoping not to have to slaughter a bunch of the king's wise men for no reason. So he grabs Daniel, brings him for the king. The king with eyes of fire. I mean, like he wants to know what this dream is and he wants someone to tell him. He brings Daniel before him and says, Daniel, can you tell me not just what the dream means, but also what the dream was, the thing that no person on earth could do? And Daniel gets that answer, and he says, nope, no man can give you the answer that you seek. And you're like, oh my goodness, Daniel's got a flair for the dramatic. I mean, you're playing, kind of playing with fire there with Nebuchadnezzar. Of course, he follows it up with, but however, there isn't anyone who can give you that answer. <laughs> it seems like Daniel knows what cards he has and he knows he has the right cards. So he has confidence in God and he says, there's no one that has that answer. No one can tell you what the dream was. No one can tell you what the dream was. Only you know what the dream was. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So Daniel makes this incredible statement. Basically, he starts off kind of, you know, toying with the king's emotions, basically making sure God gets all the glory and basically tells him, no, there's no one who can tell you what your dream was, but there is a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. And I'm telling you this, he has revealed to you things about that, about what Daniel calls the latter days. The God that lives in heaven that reveals mysteries has shown you, Nebuchadnezzar, what will be 
in the last days. Daniel says, the thing that God shows you is incredibly profound. He has given you a secret and a mystery that he doesn't show a lot of people. And he has done it in a dramatic and stunning way. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Daniel says, God showed me this, this mystery, not because I'm, I'm more wise than anybody else. He says, he showed you this mystery to reveal its interpretation so that you would understand what happened in your mind. It's like Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar, you have no idea the profound nature of what you experienced in your dream. You were deeply troubled by it and you couldn't sleep after it. But I'm telling you that the God who reveals mysteries, the God of heaven that reveals mysteries has revealed this thing to me. And it's about the things that will come after this period of time. These are prophecies, he tells Nebuchadnezzar. These are things that are going to happen at some point. And some of these things will happen at the very end of time. So then Daniel begins to tell him. He begins with, with the more difficult request, right? He begins with the actual what was the dream. He's going to tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was. And he's going to tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream means. And that dream has incredible implications for us living today. It has implications for everyone living all through time. But those who are living towards the end, it has very specific importance for us to help ground us in his word, to know he's true so that we can hold tight to him and he will answer us in every situation, just like he answered Daniel. Just like he answered Daniel, he will answer us in every situation. Verse 31, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. So Daniel describes the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. He says, In your dream stood before you a huge, really bright statue. And this statue was of a person, and that person's head was made out of gold. His chest was made out of silver. His midsection was made out of bronze, And his legs were made from iron. And finally, the statue had feet of iron and clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff in the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image...
became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel describes the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, you saw a before you in your dream a huge bright statue. Head was made of gold. Chest was made of silver. Midsection was made of bronze. Legs were made of iron. Feet were made of iron and clay. And then you saw a stone that's not cut by human hands strike the statue on its feet. And then the statue is crushed to powder, and that powder blows away in the wind, and there is literally nothing left of the statue at all. I mean, there isn't even a pile of powder somewhere where you go like, oh, yeah, that, uh, that pile of powder there, that was once a huge statue um, made of all these crazy metals, and it was massive and really bright. Nope, there isn't even a pile of dust. It's gone. It blows away in the wind. You're like, where? It's up in the clouds now. It's raining now. It's in the ocean. The blood. It's gone. It's who knows where it is. It's probably in the drinking water. We don't know, but we do know this: that that rock that came out and struck that statue on the feet of iron and clay. Um, that rock. It was just a rock. It wasn't, it wasn't any kind of special metal. It wasn't gold or it wasn't silver or bronze or, or iron or anything. There was, it, it was just a rock. It, was just, it wasn't even really shaped like anything. It was, just like a, it was just like a boulder that just came, you know, just sitting for, since the beginning of time, just a, a big rock. And that was the rock that hit the statue that then turned to dust and blew away in the wind. But that rock, then it like grew into this massive mountain. And then that massive mountain filled the entire earth. Wow. That's the dream. All right, Daniel, what does the dream mean? Then Daniel moves into the interpretation of the dream. Verse 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell you, the king, its interpretation. So Daniel says, hey, that's what the dream was. Now this is what the dream means. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and might and the glory, and into whose hands he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, making you the ruler over them all. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. Verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it will break and crush all these. And as you saw, the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron shall be a divided kingdom. Some of the firmness of iron shall be in it. Just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with the seed of men. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the king of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke the pieces, it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. So this is the part that Daniel gives the interpretation of the dream. He told him what the dream was, and now he tells him what the dream means. 
He says, hey, that statue you saw, I'm going to explain to you what it was. The head of gold was you, Nebuchadnezzar. But then there's somebody coming after you who will be inferior to you. That's the chest of silver. And then after that, another kingdom will arise and will take over the entire earth. And finally, the legs of iron that you saw is a fourth kingdom that's going to smash every one before them, including the ones listed here, right? And then finally, the whole feet of iron and clay is another kingdom that will mix the iron with the clay. They will mix the iron with the seed of men. That is a kind of a, a, um, a much discussed and little agreed upon verse and, and how it should be interpreted and how it should be translated. Some people and the ESV, unfortunately, was one of them that actually translated it. They will mix together in marriage. But if I look down, there's a, there's a little uh, number one by it that's um, uh, indicating a footnote below. And it gives the actual literal, the literal translation, which is by, they will mix by the seed of men. And so they did not just a translation, but an interpretation there. They, they said, okay, well, they're talking about the seed of men, so they must be talking about marriage. They're not talking about marriage. And throwing marriage in there is actually kind of an abuse and a departure kind of from what the, the Bible says there. It would be better to leave a uh, kind of an, a misunderstood um, translation in there, I would think, as far if I was if I was overseeing, an, uh, uh, you know, the the ESV version, I would be like, "Hey guys, just because we don't know what it means doesn't mean we need to try to shift it so that it, it makes more sense to us. Let's just leave it in its original. And if it says by the seed of men, and we can't, we don't really understand what by the seed of men means, we're just going to leave it in there. We're going to trust God with it." Instead, they went the route of, well, if it's the seed of men, then it must mean marriage somehow. So we'll just go ahead and just say marriage because that's probably what it means. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that there will be a final empire. The final empire of this age will mix iron with clay. There's the iron part, and then there's the clay part. And, and Daniel says, he uses the term, the potter's clay. Well, who is the potter's clay? Who is the potter? Well, that's God. Who is the clay? Well, that's us. There are many instances in the Bible where the Bible uses clay to represent the human frame. Paul says that we have this message in jars of clay, right? At the, kind of a, a fragile container for an eternal reality, right? We're, we're, we're the jars of clay. He is the potter. We sing, we sing worship songs about how he's the potter. We are the clay. Well, this is a very common used symbol for the human frame. And so it means the human frame, <laughs> I don't know how else to, to say it, but to say that. So the empire of iron continues on into the feet because there's iron in the feet. However, it's no longer pure iron. It is now iron mixed with potter's clay, the clay, the human frame. So we look at the history of empire and this dream of Nebuchadnezzar describes the history of empire perfectly. I don't know how else to say it. It describes it perfectly. 
we all know there's no controversy in the head of gold, right? The head of gold is 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 Nebuchadnezzar, right? And then the second ones that came right after him, right after right after Nebuchadnezzar took a spot, they were inferior to him. Their their, their kingdom was nowhere near as impressive. They are the chest of silver. It's Persia, right? It's it was Cyrus and Persia. Then the third kingdom that comes and takes over the whole earth is got to be Greece. Let's face it. Alexander the Great conquered the entire world in like 13 years. What Alexander did is unthinkable. It's, it's hard to imagine someone conquering at the speed that Alexander conquered. It's incredible. Then, who came along and smashed all these other empires before it and completely has owned the earth? Basically, ever since, you got to give the nod to Rome, right? It was Rome who then came along, took over the Greek Empire, and instilled a government, began a legacy of a government, not just a government, but many other things, that generation after generation, nation after nation would adopt and try to refine and try uh, to improve. And the world has been in the process of this ever since the days of Rome because Rome introduced the world to a democratic republic. Rome undermined monarchy. Kings were no longer safe in a post-Rome world. Kings, monarchies, the will of one man over the will of many was done away with, conquered by the Roman Empire. And ever since then, history is dominated by one form of government more than any other. And that was the government introduced in Rome. Not practiced perfectly, many times threatened and destroyed and eroded by Caesars who consolidated too much power and too much control. But the idea that the will of the people would prevail over the will of one man began in Rome, and the history is filled with nation after nation, story after story, adopting the Democratic Republic, some sort of Republican form of government that began in Rome. I mean, shoot, China considers itself a republic. North Korea is, you know, the People's Democratic uh, Republic of Korea, didn't, didn't realize that was a functioning democratic republic there, did you? Neither did I. But it says a lot about what the form of government began, that began in Rome, has done to our world. It has dominated ever since. You, you, you ask uh, leading historians, when did the Roman Empire end? Some will say 400 and whatever it was in the West and 17 whatever it was in the East or, or whatever. But others will say that is not an easy question to answer. In some ways, the very original form, the very uh, vestiges of the actual Roman Republic are still operating in some ways today, in small ways. You can go to Turkey today and you can find somebody who calls himself a Roman and believes him to, himself to be a Roman citizen. We've had Caesars, we've had Kaisers, we've had various forms of people who have declared the rightful um, um, lineage of Caesar. Those are the small ways that the Roman Empire continues to operate. The big ways is what form of government is the United States, right? 
it's a democratic republic. And I think it's probably, it has been at least up until now, the best form of it, the best functioning, modified, improved form of the democratic republic. Of course, the thing that needs to go along with a democratic republic is a sense of responsibility, a sense of self-governance, and actually knowing what's right and what's wrong, and actually having some nobility and able to maintain the freedoms of a democratic republic. Because if the people become so crooked and evil that they cannot self-govern, that they cannot tell the difference between right and wrong, then the citizenry themselves become the threat to the democratic republic form of government. And those people, as they erode their government, their government begins to topple and the whole thing is threatened. So the sense of nobility, a sense of morality, there, there needs to be an ethic that goes along with it. It was the same in the, in the Roman uh, Empire days when the Roman citizen, citizenry were filled with a proper ethic. The Republic thrived when the people descended into, into short-sighted living. The Empire suffered. And the same goes for us today in the United States. And that's why I'm praying for a massive awakening revival where the truth is proclaimed, where sin is repented of, where the name of Jesus is declared and he is worshiped and people turn away from their wicked ways and turn to the truth. Because that is the only way for our nation to continue in the favor and blessing of God. If we choose the path of sexual immorality, if we choose the path of disregarding the truth, if we choose the path of embracing perversion and calling evil good and calling good evil, then God will resist, diminish, punish, and if we don't repent at some point, ultimately destroy our nation. No question about it. God hasn't changed. The God that sent, I don't even know what it was, comets, asteroids, or just straight fire from heaven, whatever it was, zeroed in on Sodom and Gomorrah and cratered them. Same God, same God that cratered Sodom and Gomorrah can crater the United States if we reject the truth and love lies. But back to the text. Daniel describes to Nebuchadnezzar the dream of the statue, head of gold, Babylon, chest of silver, Persia, midsection of bronze, Greece, legs of iron, Rome, and then the legs of iron continue on into the feet, and there's iron in the feet, except there's another substance in the feet, and that's clay. That's the potter's clay. It's the human frame. It's the mixing of iron and clay. What is that iron and clay? I don't, I don't know if Daniel understood what the iron and clay is. I don't know if I understand what the iron and clay is. But if Daniel is saying that they mix the iron with the seed of men, then we can know that it's some sort of mixing, or at least I would believe it's a mixing of the biological with the technological. It's the mixing of the seed of man with iron, the man and the machine. It sounds crazy, and 10 years ago, I would have never said this because I would have thought this is crazy. But then there's this thing called technology that we grossly underestimate its power. We don't understand what we're in for with this whole technology thing. We just don't get it. 
technology accelerates and expands in ways that we can't even imagine now. I couldn't have imagined having an iPhone when I was 20 years old back in 1999. But here we are heading into 2020 and there's talk about artificial intelligence, what it can do, what its potential is. There's talk of communicating brain to brain, not using sound waves or our voices, but actually using our thoughts to communicate to each other. This was the stuff I would watch on like the Star Trek Next Generation episodes back in the 90s. I'd be like, oh, that was a cool episode. That whole brain-to-brain interface thing they had. Well, now that kind of stuff is actually turns out to be real. Didn't realize it back 10 years ago, back 20 years ago, but I realize it now. I'm, I'm coming to understand that technology is an incredible thing. And there is coming a time where we are going to, as a society, begin to literally merge our bodies with our technological devices. Sounds stupid, right? But imagine if you could put your phone in your brain. Imagine if whatever you thought you could see, whatever question you had would be answered. Anything you wanted would be available to you in your mind. Would you put your phone in your mind if you could do that? If you could take your iPhone and slide it into your brain, it would have to be a permanent procedure. You couldn't go back. Once you did it, you'd be stuck. Would you do it? Because that's what they're talking about doing. And I believe that's what Daniel sees right at the end of time. He sees a time where the Roman Republic form of government will continue on. The government that began in Rome will actually have its climax in Babylon the Great. We read that Revelation 17. But it's not just the Roman form of government. It is a mixing of iron with the seed of men. It's the mixing of man and machine. It's transhumanism is the stupid term people use, and I hate, I hate to even use it. It means transcendent. It doesn't mean trans like transsexual, trans like changing. It means trans like transcending. The idea is that human beings will use technology to guide their own evolution. It's insanity, and God will judge it. It is doomed to fail. It is a blasphemous attempt to turn to our tools to save us. It's the final attempt of man to build a savior out of a rock. And it will fail, and it will fail spectacularly and miserably. And then on top of that, God will be judging the world in escalating fashion. So in the days of those kings, in the days when they decide they're going to mix the iron with the clay, there's going to be some kings, 10 of them actually, right at the end there, In the days of those kings, that's when God will break those kingdoms into pieces, blow them away, so they come to nothing. All those kingdoms will come tumbling down. They will be smashed to pieces. And the kingdom of God will take root and stand forever. These kingdoms come and go. The legs of iron have had a long run. The feet feet of clay won't last nearly as long. 
But I can tell you this, that the stone cut, uncut by human hands, will smash them all into oblivion and will the wind will blow their dust away and they'll be no more. And it will be that kingdom that God establishes forever. Daniel says, the dream is certain. Its interpretation is sure. I'm telling you what it means. I'm telling you what it is. Nebuchadnezzar knew what Daniel was saying was true. Well, he had to know because Daniel told him what the dream was. So Nebuchadnezzar knew Daniel was hearing from God. He says, truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal this mystery. Daniel gets promoted and rewarded. God's blessing and favor comes out of a very touch-and-go situation. And we can have that confidence. We can have that confidence when we begin to see our lives as woven together, put together by our Creator, our God, who loves us, who died for us. then we can have confidence that God put us here, he sustained us, and that he will see us through. He is faithful. If we but stand and trust in him, he will answer us, even in dire situations where there doesn't seem to be any answers. He is faithful. He is the sustainer. He always comes through. He has never failed. He never failed Daniel. He has never failed me. He will never fail you. If you put your trust in him today. So that's it for Daniel 2. I hope that was a, a blessing to you. Certainly my take on on this. I encourage you, get in there. Get in there. Read read Daniel 2 for yourself. Take take a new look. And give me some feedback. Tell me what I missed. I, I invite your feedback and I invite you to come on back next time for the Babylon Singularity Podcast. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.